This program is sponsored by the Kavli Prize, which honors scientists for breakthroughs in astrophysics, nanoscience, and neuroscience. The Kavli Prize is a partnership among the Norwegian Academy of Science and Letters, the Norwegian Ministry of Education and Research, and the U.S.-based Kavli Foundation in Los Angeles, California. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. The cell is very small. Think about the smallest hair that you can see and reduce the size by about a factor of 10, one-tenth as big, and that's about in the range of what a cell is. Now, within that cell, there is a highly organized system. So if you think of it as a complex city, You have a factory, you have a distribution center, and then you have uh, each of the many uh, stores and restaurants and places where things are done in a city. Jim Rothman won the Kavli Prize for Neuroscience and later the Nobel Prize for figuring out how a particular machine in our body works. It's a pretty important machine. It delivers hormones to our blood and thoughts in our brain. To try to make it clear and vivid when he talked about the intricate process in which our bodies get their working parts from here to there, Jim used some interesting analogies, like how an apple finds his mouth and not mine, and how little FedEx trucks are zooming around the body, tracking their own tiny barcodes. I got so inspired I joined in with a weird analogy of my own involving lovers who find each other at a masked ball. We had some fun. This is so great that you could join me today because I'm I'm just fascinated not only with what you do, but how you talk about it. You're such a good communicator. So I, I, I imagine you'll you'll guess what the first question has to be because you've won the Kavli Prize. You've been awarded so many other distinguished prizes. But as soon as you win the Nobel Prize, the first question they ask you is, where were you when you got the word that you had won? Are you sick of hearing that question? Uh, well, I haven't heard it as much recently, but so, uh, but I, I, I was in bed, like <laughs> most Nobel laureates in the East Coast or the West Coast of the U.S. And uh, so, no, I was just uh, minding my own business in bed. I was a little, uh, I have to say, we all know when the announcement is. And if you win a Cavalier Award, you think that, well, maybe there's a chance there'll be a Nobel Prize at some point. So I, it was, but nonetheless, it was shocking when, when the, uh, when the phone rang at uh, 4.30 a.m. Actually, there is an amusing story about that, which is uh, later in the day, 
um, the Huron uh, uh, Hansen, uh, the secretary of the committee at the time of medicine. Later, he shared a picture uh, that his secretary had taken of him making that phone call. And as it happened, my wife, uh, uh, Joy Hirsch, who you've met, uh, had was quick, quick of foot and managed to grab a camera and actually took a picture of me. So we actually have oh, great. We actually have back-to-back pictures with the clock in both places. And do you look shocked, or do you just have a normal look on your face? Oh no, I have. A, I have. A, it turns out I have a big smile on my face, uh, <laughs> and I'm in my underwear. <laughs> so we had to crop the picture at a certain point. So just for a couple of minutes, will you help me understand the work for which? You won the prize. It's deep down in the in the human cell, right? In, in and it's very, very tiny. The cell already is tiny. It, it is. It is. And your work was even tinier. That is right. Well, uh, as you as you mentioned, the cell is very small. Think about the smallest hair that you can see, and reduce the size by about a factor of ten. One tenth as big, and that's about in the range of what a cell is. Now, within that cell. There is a highly organized system of, uh, of what we call compartments. Each of them has a special job. So if you think of it as a complex city, you have a factory, you have a distribution center, and then you have uh, each of the many uh, stores and restaurants and places where things are done in a city. Now, the thing is that uh, a cell is a city that replicates itself. It grows and it divides and it makes perfect copies of itself. So that every time a cell grows and divides, it has to make a perfect copy of all of the locations in the city that comprises it. Now, to do that, it has to have a factory to make its own working parts. Does that make sense? The working parts are called proteins. So you have a factory and a distribution center. And so what happens in the factory is that, the, is that the working parts, the proteins that will reside here and there and the other place, they're all made together uh, and they're, they're kind of mixed up. And so the problem that I addressed in the early 1980s was to understand how these working parts can be distributed in the cell from where they're made to where they belong. They have to know where to go. And they have to have a means to get there. And they have to do it at the right time? At the right time. So over here on my left shoulder uh, is, let's say, is one part of the cell. It's where the factory is. And on my right shoulder, uh, that's where the working parts of my right shoulder are going to be within the cell. And on my elbow, okay, there are yet different proteins that have to go there. Uh, so there has to be a way then to physically reach in to the factory, in this case, my shoulder, and lift out the working parts that need to go to my knee or my elbow. And there'll be different working parts that have to go to each. Otherwise, my knee won't function as a knee and my elbow won't function as an elbow. Does that sort of make sense? That's great. I'm with you. So there's a delivery system, okay? The delivery system is like a FedEx truck. And the FedEx truck loads up from the factory and then delivers to the knee or it delivers to the elbow or any of 10 other places. So it needs to actually have a tracking number or a zip code. So each of the working parts is then barcoded, in effect. It's manufactured with its own barcode. That barcode is recognized by the FedEx truck. The FedEx truck then makes the delivery. A cell cannot live 
grow or divide without this. And it's so fundamental, actually, this process, uh, in another dimension, because actually some of these working parts are actually released from the cell. They do their work outside the cell, for example, in the blood. All of our hormones, like insulin, of which, and there are perhaps a thousand signaling molecules like, like insulin that convey information from one part of the body to the other. And they then have to travel to another cell, whether it's the next door cell within an organ or a distant cell. In that case, it's a hormone. Now, altogether, about 20% of the human genome is devoted to these molecules in the signaling systems that I've just described. And as a result of that, imbalances in the processes that I just described underlie a great many chronic conditions, you know, ranging from uh, uh, diabetes to probably neurodegenerative diseases, we're beginning to learn, to immuno-inflammatory syndromes, uh, and, and the list goes on. So it's a very, very fundamental process. And finally, the area of my current work and the reason that the Kavli Prize for Neuroscience uh, recognized uh, the body of work that I contributed to is that there's a special class of molecules that are released from cells, and especially from nerve cells, neurons, that are called neurotransmitters. And they are not proteins, they're small molecules uh, like acetylcholine or, or, or glutamate. And they are released specifically at the ending of a nerve where it touches and impacts another nerve called the synapse. And it is this uh, essentially uh, joint between two wires, which is analogous to what we used to do when we built radios, when we would solder a circuit with metal that allows information to be passed from one brain cell to another uh, within the brain to allow information to flow. That also uses the same machinery. So that's why this problem is important to understand. Now, is the FedEx truck the vesicle? Exactly. It's a, it is a vesicle. So that's a container in which is the stuff that has to be transported to the right place at the right time, huh? Thank you. I can see that Professor Alda has absolutely done his homework. So the FedEx truck that I'm referring to, to is actually very small. It is the smallest atom is a hydrogen atom. It's too small to picture. This vesicle is about 500 hydrogen atoms in, in, in its diameter. And what's more, the delivery, these are very type, special types of FedEx trucks. The FedEx truck actually, as we understand it, loads up, goes someplace, drops off its cargo, the package, and then goes back to, to, to another place. These FedEx trucks are different. They only live for a few minutes. They're born and then they die. Huh. Actually, the factory, among the things that the factory produces is the FedEx truck itself, and it loads it with cargo. Now that FedEx truck is dedicated to the particular working parts or cargo that it's going to take from my shoulder to my arm, to my elbow. And then when it gets to my elbow, it actually joins in by a process we call membrane fusion and becomes part of my elbow. And at the same time, even as it is subsumed into my elbow, it delivers the new parts for the elbow. And it becomes part of my elbow. So the elbow gets a little bigger. That's how a cell grows. Huh. It grows by growing all of its parts. You get it? Yeah, but something that's stumping me here is how, what a great distance the, these, uh, these vesicles or FedEx trucks have to travel. It has to go all the way across a cell, which on the scale of this vesicle is many, many, many thousands times its own size. 
How in the world does it get there? How in the world does it? Okay, so now I can explain to you the discovery that I made that I must say it surprised me that it worked, but I, I, I remain delighted, okay? There were two ways in 1980 to look at this, uh, at this problem, which we call the transport problem, how the vesicle can go from one place to another in the cell and know that it gets to the right place, how the delivery truck can deliver its cargo and know where to go. There were two ways. One way is that the delivery truck leaves the factory and then randomly can move in the cell and then by diffusion, when it recognizes its target, it, de it delivers the cargo, okay? It knows where it wants to go, and, it, and it, when it gets there, it knows it. The other, uh, which was the prevailing model, is that the target for the vesicle is always right next to, physically, within the cell where the vesicle comes from. So I'll give you an analogy with an apple. Let's imagine I have an apple in my hand, and the apple is the vesicle. And the hand, my hand is the factory that is going to release the vesicle. And my mouth is where the vesicle wants to go to. So there's two models. I can take the apple in my hand and simply deliver it to my mouth and take a bite. That's what we do all the time. It's the natural model, right? And then there was my model. My model was, I'm going to take the apple. I'm going to throw it up into the air. I'm going to simply open my mouth and wait. And the apple will magically drop in no matter what direction I throw it in. If I throw it up, it'll come down. If I throw it sideways, it doesn't matter. I'll just wait. It'll be a little bit longer. It'll come to me. Now, I have to tell you, that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was my model. <laughs> How did that get the Nobel Prize? That's amazing. Because it's true. How does it work that way? When the vesicle leaves the factory, it takes with it a remnant of the factory on its surface that tells the vesicle where to go. It doesn't tell it how to get there, but when it's there, it's like a uh, congratulatory telegram. It says, you've arrived. We call that a snare protein, S-N-A-R-E. It's part of a device that snares the vesicle. That, and, and, that, and that's one part of it that we call the V-snare. And the vesicle that leaves the factory has a V-snare on its surface. Now, that V-snare has to know when it's got to the right place, right? How does it know? It knows because at the target, there's a target snare called, that we called a T-snare. Am I being clear? Yeah. And that T-snare is only on the target. So in my analogy, the apple, it, when, it, when, it, when the apple leaves the factory, the factory actually makes the V-snare. Uh -huh. along with the other working parts. And it places it in the apple. The apple is formed with it. Now, when the apple is released, it's released with a V-snare looking for a T-snare. Now, the T-snare will only be in my mouth. No place else. It won't be on my nose. won't be on Alan's nose standing next to me. It won't be on the floor. It won't be anywhere except on my mouth. And as long as the vesicle can keep moving around, and that happens by diffusion, discovered by Albert Einstein, right? Diffusion, uh, uh, better explain <laughs> diffusion. What do you mean? The, the Diffusion is Brownian motion. Just, okay. just things Einstein, boiling around. Einstein, just moving around. If you look a little a little particle in a light microscope, uh, it'll just go boing, going around, boing, 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 boing. And that's because molecules of water are colliding with it, imparting momentum and giving it a kick. 
and then another molecule gives it a kick in another direction and another. And if you look at it, you can't see the molecules, but you can see that little particle of dust bouncing back and forth. Einstein had the brilliance in 1905 to deduce from that phenomenon that molecules exist in what their size was. But the physics does not vanish inside of a cell. It just continues. And so molecules in the cell also diffuse. They're getting kicked by water. And a vesicle also gets kicked, and it will also diffuse. It's just So it will get to my mouth. It's just a question of, of uh, <clears throat> whether it knows when it gets there. It sounds a little bit like so, uh, having a, a, a date with someone in, in which you're playing blind man's bluff and you run around the room until you find your date. Well, that's very good. And it works if you recognize her kiss. Yes. <laughs> okay? <laughs> now, this is actually a great analogy. I wish I'd have thought of it. And so now the kiss that occurs is be between the T-snare and the V-snare, and it's a molecular kiss, quite literally. Okay? Uh -huh. The V-snare is a molecule of protein that is a random coil just like a little string with beads on a string. And the T-snare is also another such molecule, okay, with like beads on a string. It's now, of course, tiny, tiny, tiny compared to a vesicle. These two beads wrap on each other to form what's called a bundle. And that bundle is very stable. It's as stable as a rock. You actually, it's so solid that when we form, we can actually form these in this test tube. We can take this the V-snare protein and the T-snare protein, and we can mix them together and they form this bundle in the test tube. And they love each other. That You actually have to heat the water to boiling temperature for, in order for these two proteins to come apart. That's how entwined in kissing they are. And what is so beautiful, and when you understand nature, it's always a thing of beauty, is that there are many different V and T-snares in the cell. So if you want to program a vesicle or a FedEx truck to go from one place to another, you simply put a V-snare in one in the vesicle as it leaves the first, and the T-snare that kisses it and entwines with it in the target. So you can have in the room, let us say, 10 pairs of lovers, each of which will recognize their own kisses, okay? You can mix them up completely and they will sort each other out. And years later, in about in the early 2000s, we actually did this experiment. The equivalent to that experiment is what we've done is we, we took each and every one of the V and T snares out of the genome of a simple yeast cell. And we produced in each test, we produced in a test tube, we, we mixed all of the V snares and all of the T snares mounted on vesicles, synthetic vesicles. And we've discovered that even in the same test tube, they perfectly sorted each other out. That proved what we call the snare hypothesis, that the specificity of the targeting was due to the snares. The V-snare that uh, targets the vesicle and entwines with the T-snare as the lover, as the two lovers kiss and recognize in the masked ball that you so beautifully evoked. Okay, I will use that analogy over and over again. When we come back, Jim Rothman tells me how the mechanism he discovered that allows newly manufactured molecules to go where they belong also allows us to think, literally. Our program is sponsored by the Kavli Prize, which honors scientists for breakthroughs in astrophysics, nanoscience, and neuroscience 
that transform our understanding of the very big, the very small, and the very complex. From scientific breakthroughs like the discovery of CRISPR-Cas9 and the detection of gravitational waves, to inventing new fields of research, Kavli Prize laureates push the limits of what we don't know and advance science in ways that could not have been imagined. The Kavli Prize is a partnership among the Norwegian Academy of Science and Letters, the Norwegian Ministry of Education and Research, and the U.S.-based Kavli Foundation in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation's mission is to advance science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation supports basic, curiosity-driven research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience through a constellation of Kavli Institutes at academic universities internationally and through programs that support public engagement with science, enhancing how society encounters science, interacts with it, and uses science in their daily lives. I want to thank all of you who have signed up to support Clear and Vivid on Patreon. It really helps us to bring you conversations with some of the most interesting people out there. Along with our sponsors, you make Clear and Vivid possible. If you haven't become a patron yet, here's how it works. If you visit patreon.com slash clearandvivid, you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month to get advanced news about coming shows and get listed on our virtual wall of generous benefactors, and there's even a modest bit of swag. If you go for a higher level of support, there's a lot of fun stuff coming your way. Videos and audio clips of moments with our guests that were fascinating but didn't make it into the show. Bonus episodes of behind-the-scenes chat as my producer Graham Chet and I put the shows together. Plus, for our top subscribers, a monthly video conference with me. That's been a wonderful experience. I love meeting the thoughtful, engaged people who listen to our podcast. And I'll even record a personalized voicemail message for your mobile phone. If you'd like to know more, just go to patreon.com slash clearandvivid. And remember, you don't have to become a patron to keep listening to the show. You can continue to listen for free. But you can get an awful lot of fun extras if you do become a subscriber. And most importantly, your patronage directly funds our work with the Aldous Center for Communicating Science. So join us at patreon.com slash clearandvivid. That's patreon.com slash clearandvivid. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Jim Rothman. So... I can see that there was a progress as time went on in what you were interested in exploring. What are you working on now? Currently, I'm turning my attention to a a separate but I think very profound problem uh, that relates to our very human nature. um, It is the features of that very system that I I personally think likely uh, limit the speed with which we can compute as human beings, and therefore all thought in action. And let me explain what I mean. The, if you take the snare proteins that, for example, will release insulin into the blood, and you say, how fast do they work? Okay, so how, what, is their, what is the clock, the speed with which they intr- intrinsically are capable? Those proteins take about one second to release insulin. It's pretty fast, right? So if I'm storing insulin in, a, in, the, in, the, in the pancreas and, and, uh, and, and I just ate a meal and the signal comes to the pancreas, Jim, you just ate a meal and I got to release insulin into the blood, the first molecule will take one second. Now, the very same or very similar proteins are releasing neurotransmitters at your nerve endings, okay? Now, if it took a second for Alan Alda to have a thought, we would have a very slow interview here, wouldn't we? Okay. And yet it's the same machine, okay? Now, as a matter of fact, we know from the work of Bernard Katz, uh, who a recipient of the Nobel Prize in medicine uh, in the, uh, I believe, early 1970s. Uh, he discovered that synaptic vesicles, the vesicles that store the neurotransmitter at the end of every nerve, that they are released incredibly rapidly. They take about one millisecond, one one thousandth of a second to be released. Well, now you can see how all this fits into a very big picture, but we have one paradox, which is what I'm trying to solve. How can it be that the same machine that takes one second everywhere else in biology, everywhere else, takes less than a thousandth of a second? In fact, it's 10,000 times faster at a nerve ending. How can that be? How can the laws of physics change? Okay? Because this is a machine. It has its physics. So do you have one simple idea that you're pursuing? Yes, I have a simple idea. Do you see how vital this is? Of course. Right? I mean, you see that we would be able to do nothing, okay? Now, here's the most amazing thing, Alan. If you look in a worm or a fruit fly, they've already evolved their synapses to the same timing. Mm. There's been no improvement in this in all of evolution, all we do is make our brains bigger or more complicated. That's how fundamental this is, okay, for processing speed. If you're, if you're a fly and someone's coming to get you, if you can fly away faster, okay, you'll get away faster, you'll survive. So we will have evolved uh, the, the, the neurotransmission speed at a synapse. And I won't go into the details of it, 
But when you take the view that I take, uh, which I'll describe momentarily, you realize that the synapse has evolved to the limits of physics, actually to the limits of diffusion of molecules and membranes. That's how beautiful this is. So how does it work? How does it work? What's how the, do you get... What's the simple idea? The secret. Okay. Well, there's, there's, there's two different models that you can think of, okay? One model is, what, is the automobile model, okay? I have a machine. It's an automobile. It has an engine. And what do I do when, when I want to go at a higher speed? I shift the gears. So it, I have a way. So maybe the snares that we measure, our machine, the way we measure it in the test tube, it's in first gear. And maybe it has possibilities that we don't know about that, that are brought out in the environment of a nerve due to other proteins being present where it can shift to second gear or third gear or fourth gear or fifth gear, right? So that's, that would be one explanation. I don't like that explanation because it's very complicated. There's a simpler explanation. Instead of having one car coming to the race, if I want to get there faster, I'll bring a lot of cars to the race. Why would that help? I, I, why would that help? Aha, uh -huh, because they work together. Okay, so this is exactly what we're trying to work on right now. Uh, with my colleagues at Yale, uh, we've uh, measured we've been able to actually take an individual single molecule of the snare complex, one molecule, and put it between two what are called optical tweezers. And we can pull on it or relax it, and we can actually measure how much force we have to exert on it to open it up and how much force it exerts on us, like a spring. We can pull on it and it pulls on us. And when we do that physics experiment, we know the, what's called the energy landscape of this molecule. From that, we can actually calculate that it takes one second for this protein to do its job, just like what we measure. So we know we're on the real, the physics is real, the way we're dealing with it. Now, in our, we now can model what happens if you have five or six or seven of these. And what we've discovered, making no assumptions, actually, uh, other than, than physical ones that we can measure, uh, is that one takes one second, two takes about 100 milliseconds. And when you get to, excuse me, two gets, even two of them get you down to about a millisecond. And when you get three, four, five, or six, you're way below, we're into the range of the nerve ending. We've actually now, in the last, uh, last year or so, obtained electron microscope images using very sophisticated new technology called cryo-electron microscopy, which was actually recognized by the Nobel Prize in Chemistry I think two years ago. And this technology allows us, uh, with, a, with our collaborator at Yale, who's an expert in this, Jun Lu, to visualize single synaptic vesicles docked to the nerve ending. And what we've observed is actually that there is a ring of six, containing six objects underneath it, which each of which undoubtedly will, will prove to contain a single entwined snare. We haven't proven that point yet, but it's all but. Isn't that amazing? It's breathtaking. It's never been observed before. And I didn't tell you the other prediction of the physics is that when you get more than six or seven, it becomes too cumbersome and there's too many of these snares getting in the way so it never joins. And it gets slower and slower. So the physics also predicts that when it's more than about six, and these are not precise predictions, it could be five, it could be seven, because we don't know the numbers, all of them precisely enough. But we would predict there's an optimum in the range of six above which, above much above six, it won't work at all. 
And so lo and behold, there it is, six. Well, I can see why it excites you. It, it, it is, you're, you're really discovering things that at the end, in a way, at the end edge of our universe. The universe, certainly the universe in the brain, in terms of the speed at which that happens. The speed of our conversation has caught up with us. We usually end our shows, we always end our shows with seven quick questions that are loosely related to communication, and they invite seven quick answers. Are you game? Okay, go, go for okay. it. What do you wish you really understood? Consciousness. Uh, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? Uh, I generally begin, depending on their age, with, uh, with all due respect, <laughs> uh, if it's, uh, someone, um, uh, if it's, if it's a high and mighty individual, uh, and, uh, otherwise for most of my friends, are you kidding? <laughs> okay. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? The one that you just asked. Okay. <laughs> How do you stop a compulsive talker? I, I, I don't know. I've never been stopped. <laughs> But you get the award for the No, I mean it's it's actually an interesting it's an interesting question. My wife has a lot of experience in this. Yeah. Uh because uh, I am I am a fairly compulsive uh uh talker. Uh, I think it comes from growing up in a Jewish family where, where airtime was at a premium. People uh there are many people I know who can think. I can't think on my own. I don't go off and think. I only think when I talk. I've never thought of a good idea or practically any idea when I'm not in a conversation. So I, I find it helpful to talk. Uh, my wife uh, doesn't always find it as helpful. And so she <laughs> reminds me of the 50% rule. She says, keep track of the conversation. If you're talking more than 50% of the time, you better shut up because nobody knows how to do it to you. Okay, let's say you're at a dinner party sitting next to someone you don't know. How do you start up a real conversation with that person? Hmm. Boy, I'd give anything for that to happen these days. Hmm. If you know what I mean, I do. Uh, that being COVID, yeah, I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, I just, I love being in such situations, and and I just say, hi, m my name is Jim. I'm a scientist. Tell me what excites you. Ah, 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 good. Okay, next to last, what gives you confidence? In what? Well, take your pick. Uh, actually. I, I can't answer the question without in what, because I have confidence in some things and I don't have confidence in other things. So, for example, uh, I have confidence in uh, any scientific assertion that I make. If I make it, I wouldn't be making it otherwise. And uh, I have confidence in people, certain people. But uh, I don't have confidence. Uh, if you showed me a balance sheet uh, for a corporation, I would have no co confidence in my ability to to uh, dissect it, but if my, if it were, uh, but I, but I might have confidence in a person who could. So is that what you're asking? Or just in general, why do I approach life with confidence? Well, that's another way to look at it. Why do you? Okay. So maybe I took it too little. Or do you? I do approach life with confidence and I, it's, it's hard. Again, this is in the don't take advice uh, from old, old people category. Uh, I've been a very successful man in the fullness of time, uh, as have you, uh, each in our own way. So, I tend to approach life with the point of view of someone who's had more successes than, 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 than uh, more victories than losses. I, I suppose there's some people who are born with confidence. I'm not one of them. Uh, and uh, I think probably it comes from, from success. 
So I don't um, know that I'm in a position to judge that even at this point because I'm an old guy who's been successful. Last question. What book changed your life? Hmm. More than any other. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I would have to say there were two books. Uh, well, uh, in physics, it was Feynman's book. Uh, and this, the other book was uh, Jim Watson's uh, Double Helix. Humanized science for me uh, taught me that not all physicists, uh, not all biologists are stupid. Uh, one of the things you, one of the first thing you learn as a theoretical physicist from all the people, all the senior people around you is physicists are smart. Mathematics, mathematicians are even smarter. Okay. Chemists are, yeah, respectable, but not particularly smart. And biologists are dumb. <laughs> well, you've enlightened me and entertained me a lot during this conversation. I really am grateful to you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Jim. Just great. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for what you've been doing for science. I mean, you've been, uh, you don't have to do it. I mean, those of us who are scientists, we're slave to it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's what we have to do because it's like you, you're an, if you're an artist, you got to do your art. Okay. I'm sure you felt the same way about the theater and, 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 and uh, the art of acting. Uh, and as I do about science, uh, there's no way not to do it. But you didn't have to take on the cause of, of science and, and medicine and other causes that you've taken on. I mean that very sincerely. And, and the community, the scientific community, everyone really uh, is, is in awe of, of, of what you do. I do it because it's fun and I get to, I get to have fun. Uh, you integrated for me ways I've had of thinking about things that have been burping around. Uh, I've had my apple analogy in various ways before, but I never, and you're, you're a masked ball. Okay. Do you mind if I steal that? I'll attribute Are it. Are you but, kidding? I'm, I'm honored. That's great. I mean, that is such a fabulous analogy and it really captures the essence of it. It's so rich also because it allows the couples, okay, to find each other. Okay, it's so romantic at the same time. It's so absolutely yeah. old-fashioned. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsor of this podcast and to all of you who support our show on Patreon. You keep clear and vivid up and running. And after we pay expenses, whatever is left over goes to the Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. So your support is contributing to the better communication of science. We're very grateful. James Rothman is the Sterling Professor of Cell Biology at Yale University, Chairman of the Yale School of Medicine's Department of Cell Biology, and he's the Director and Founder of Yale's Nanobiology Institute. Among the many awards he's received for his research was the Kavli Prize for Neuroscience in 2010, and three years later, the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. 
No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Goldie Hawn. We all know Goldie as a charming, funny, accomplished movie star, but most of us may not realize she's also the founder of a research-based program to help school kids become more resilient and happier. After all, it's hard enough being me, being Goldie, who has been known for all these decades as being funny and sometimes bubble-headed. So, you know, my credits don't work too well with the, uh, <laughs> with the presentation, no matter what, because people don't know all my interests outside the camera. So I wanted to have really good research, and it works like a dream. This is a simple program that has amazing results. This is my little, what do you call it, gift <laughs> for children and for the world. Goldie Hawn and her program Mind Up next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.